0: Well, it's now 2024 and we are excited that you are here with us at Portrait Church, listening to our podcast. My name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. And here's what we think. The best thing we can do as we start 2024 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are in a brand new series called Seek First, where we are exploring what is the kingdom of God? Why should we seek it first? How should we respond to it? And what is the type of people God wants us to become in his kingdom? So we pray that as you start your 2024 year, that you would find value in seeking first God's kingdom and everything else will be added to you. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us online at portrait.church or you can find us on social media. We'll be meeting at the Mitten Building here in Redlands on Sundays, and we hope you enjoy this message. And we honestly hope one day we'll see you in person as well. Take care. I want you to imagine for a moment that you get up at 530 in the morning because the, the Jewish uh, uh, work hour back then was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so you get up because maybe some of you get up because your land was recently taken for you so in order to provide for your family many of you are going back to the very land you used to own and be a landover over but now you're there as a worker because you need to provide for your family Imagine getting up at 5.30 in the morning, looking at your family, knowing that you are going to have to work today to be able to provide a means for them to live. And so you get up, you go to the marketplace, and everyone knows what happens at the marketplace because this is where people who are in need of a job go to wait for someone to hire them. So like you probably do as you walk down the road to the marketplace, inside, you're really hopeful that someone is going to hire you because you know that you are in desperate need of money. And so then you get there and luckily for you, at the top of the hour, a landowner picks you and he says, come and work in my vineyard. Cool. I'm going to have some money. And you know back then that you are going to get paid at the end of the day because in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, Jewish law mandated, it says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So, you know, because of this mandate law that you paycheck is coming. It's not coming on the 7th and the 21st It's coming at the end of the day. And so, you know, you're hopeful. And so you start work at 6 a.m. and you are getting things going. And then you see the landowner go and get more people because, man, this harvest is plentiful. And he gets more people, and now people are coming in at 9 a.m. They're coming in at noon, and it's the hottest part of the day, and you've been working since 6. So you're probably sitting there sweating like, oh, man, this is, this is a lot of work, but you know why you're doing it. It's because you want to provide. Then you see people roll in at 3 p.m., and then all of a sudden, right when you guys are all going to start collecting harvests, there comes this last group that comes in at 5 p.m. And so then... It's time to get your check. So you're standing in line with your boys. You're feeling good. Like, man, that was a good hard work. You guys probably talked about the latest podcast episode, whatever was going on. All of a sudden, y'all are in line. And the landowner tells the foreman to pay the group that just came in. And so you overhear, and you hear one denarius. And you're, you're like, yo, guys, like they just got here. And they got one. Yo, imagine what we about to come up on. Sorry, come up means imagine what we are going to receive as a result of this. And so I find it really interesting in the text and in this story that he goes from the ones who showed up last, paying them first, and then all of a sudden, we don't hear about the, the, the ones that came at the other parts of the day. We jump straight to the ones who got there first. I think Jesus is trying to make a very significant point here because I imagine as, as we see in the text, these guys are coming up and they're like, oh, we're about to cash out. They got one denarius, we about to cash out. And he says, here's your one and imagine what was going on inside. Maybe there's a sense of anger, a sense of frustration, because at the end of the day, what these group came to to discern and feel in their spirit was this is not fair. It's not fair. What was happening in this moment? We had spent all day and these guys come in at five and they get the same amount, it's not fair. And I think many of us in this room have potentially experienced a similar question or maybe we're experiencing it right now that something that God has allowed to happen does not feel fair. And honestly, have you ever had moments in life where you saw people who you believed were less faithful than you, who weren't following Jesus as serious as maybe you are, Yet somehow they seem to be doing much better than you. Somehow it seems like they are getting the upper hand on life. They seem to be getting more favor. They seem to be getting the promotions. They seem to be getting the house. They seem to be getting the baby. They seem to be getting the relationship. They seem to be getting fill in the blank what you are desiring. And all of a sudden, if you and I were honest, there's moments where we feel like it's not fair. I think a very telling question for all of us in life to consider is how do you respond to the success and favor of others? How do you respond when it seems like other people are experiencing what you want? How do you respond when, when it seems like the person that you don't think deserved that thing got that thing? The issue here is that the first-hour workers believed that the landowner was unfair. And because they believed this, it led them to bitterness, jealousy, and envy. I don't believe they would have held that belief if they first remembered this. The landowner didn't owe them anything. Let me remind you. They showed up to the marketplace. The landowner didn't need to hire them. He could have hired somebody else. He didn't need to choose them. They didn't, they didn't need to say, yes, we, we, we will go with you. They were in the marketplace. They were the ones desperate for work. And it was the landowner who chose them. He chose them. And at the end of the day, it was truly grace. It was truly grace. Grace. It was the undeserved favor of the landowner, or in this case, as we interpret this text for us, the undeserved favor of God. Because just like them, we have to understand, those who, uh, who, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have to understand that God does not owe us anything. Like, it might sound slightly harsh. I don't want you to receive it that way. But in reality... God does not owe you and I anything. It is fully by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that you and I have the power to accomplish anything good in his name. It is by grace that he calls us sons and daughters. It is all grace. And I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. I need some of you to feel that deep down inside. Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And the problem with these workers and sometimes with us is that we believe that our efforts somehow are the driving force of what we earn from God. We believe it's what we've done, how well we've worked, how well we have performed the Christian life and somehow that's gonna be the thing that dictates how much blessings we receive. The hired men were looking at their full day effort. They looked at how much longer, how much harder they had worked than all these other people, and somehow they felt like in that moment they deserved more than others. They were looking at what they were doing. And the problem is they looked at their efforts, not the agreement. They looked at their efforts and not the agreement. Because if you were to look back in the text, the landowner, and the workers both agreed to what? One denarius. Yo, that, that was a shake. It was like, okay, we cool. Y'all come in? We good. All right, let's go. That was the agreement. The agreement was one denarius, which at that time frame, in that context, that was a fair and great day's worth of labor pay. It wasn't like they were getting the short end of the stick, they were getting what was fair. And you see, the landowner was fair. He was actually just. He was true to his word and what he committed to. And just like the landowner... When we think about the goodness of God and how he has kept his word to rescue you and I from sin and Satan and hell, when we consider that he has rescued all of us from eternal separation from God, that he would rescue us by sending his son Jesus to die on our, on our behalf, you better believe God has kept his word. He has kept his word. He has been true to what he's committed to from the very moment sin entered the world. I'm going to send a rescuer. He sends a rescuer. The rescuer rescues us. He's committed to it. Now the question is, are we committed to him? That is the question. God has already done so much more than enough. The cross is enough The cross is payment. The check has been cleared. You have no more debt. The good news of the gospel is and should always be enough. Always. But here's the problem. When there are counterfeit gospels that will have you focusing on what you, the counterfeit gospel will have you thinking that, that, and have you focusing on what you get from God rather than sitting in the joy that you get God himself through Jesus. The counterfeit gospel will always have you saying, well, what is in it for me? That's what they will have you always say. Now, the thing is, many of you, you don't say that verbally, but you live that way. You live that way. You do these things and then you, then you, then you subconsciously, in your mind are like, okay, I did all these things. God, what, is, what you got for me? Because can I be honest, I grew up, and maybe I've shared this before, I grew up seeing God as more of a landlord than Lord. I grew up seeing him as someone that I had to owe something to at the end of every day, rather than someone that I got to live freedom from because I put my faith in him. You see, when you have a landlord mentality of who God is, you begin to think that he owes you something, or that you have to then pay him back with your works, The counterfeit gospel will always have you thinking that God's blessings are contingent upon your work and not his goodness. It'll have you thinking that if you just work harder, that your blessing is right around the corner, that your next big blessing is right on the other side of that door. Can I be honest with you? I know I tell y'all to pursue wonder over cynicism at this church, but one thing that makes me a little bit cynical if I'm being honest, when I hear a lot of these messages floating around on Instagram about your next breakthrough that's coming, it's on the other side of you doing something and it's, it's this name it and claim it ministry. But can I tell you, the breakthrough that you want has already been done in Jesus. The breakthrough that we're looking for has already been complete in Jesus. We don't have to go searching for another breakthrough that's on the other side of that door. We need to open up the doors of our heart and trust in the breakthrough that's already come. It's Jesus. It is the gospel. And so the problem of some of these name it and claim it prosperity gospel ministries is that it'll have you feeling like you can earn these things, that you can earn your gifts, that you can earn God's favor, but the thing that you and I need to do most is not strive to earn, but we need to have effort to surrender, to posture ourselves with a posture of gratitude. Gratitude for the breakthrough that we've already seen. Listen, I am not, I am a firm believer that God wants to do something in and through every single one of you in this room. I am a firm believer that there are actual miracles waiting on the other side of your obedience. But what I'm trying to tell you is that we can't just place our hope in the miracle. We have to place our hope in the miracle worker. We have to place our hope in the one who is able to provide more and and more and who's able as the song that we just, Sung, who is more than able. But the tension, and we say it constantly in this whole um, um, series about seeking first the kingdom, is we need to seek first the king and not just the things that the king gives. It has to be him first. And so we have to trust that Jesus has broken the barrier He has restored this relationship back to us with God, and that should lead us to a posture of gratitude. And the thing is, these workers, they didn't have a posture of gratitude. They didn't have joy knowing that the landowner had picked them that day. There was no joy. They didn't have joy knowing that someone had picked them so that they can provide for their family, that they got to be in the vineyard Guess what? There are people, as you see in the text, who were still waiting to get picked up at the 5 o'clock hour. And, homie, y'all got picked up at 6 a.m. Imagine what those people were feeling, sitting there in the heat of the day, waiting to be picked, waiting to be called on, waiting so that they can have a job. Fam, you had the job at 6 a.m., but you can't be grateful that you got something. You can't be grateful. And here's the thing. When you and I are no longer pursuing the joy of simply having Jesus, when we no longer pursue that vertical joy of being connected to Jesus, then we begin to look horizontally for it. And what happens to these first hour workers, instead of looking vertically with gratitude, they looked horizontally with discontent. They looked horizontally with envy. They looked horizontally by comparing. Listen to, what it, listen to what it says. When they received it in verse 12, these who were hired last worked only for an hour. They were grumbling. And they said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. I want you to understand this. Look at how quickly tribal they got in their response to the, to the foreman and the landowner. It says, they began to grumble. It says, they came Oh, It's this language of they. So it wasn't just like one person sitting there. All of a sudden, it could have maybe been one person, but everybody, the whole group, they started grumbling. They started comparing. They went up and said, this is not fair. All it could have taken was for one person out of that first hour group to say, hey, y'all, 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 y'all chill. Listen, listen, listen. I know that's a little crazy what he just did, but guys, we agreed. We agreed to this. Not one person in this text said that. Not one person shifted the mindset of this now new tribal thinking. And you and I need to be careful because of this, because, and we need to be careful of tribal thinking because that's what the world wants you to get into. And that doesn't operate with the kingdom agenda. They'll have you pursuing grace, justice, generosity, as long as it fits in the narrative of the tribe. There was no narrative in this group where one person could have just stood out and said, y'all, we are tripping. We agreed on this. He's being fair to us. But they took this thinking and they began to grumble. They began to complain. The first hour tribe's way of thinking didn't fit the king's way of thinking because listen to what he says in verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what? I want with my money (laughs) or are you envious because I am generous y'all I could have just said that and we could have prayed and all been convicted and gone home because envy lives inside of all of us whether we verbalize it or not when we are too horizontally focused on what's happening to other people, what they have, what they get, there's a great temptation to allow comparison and envy to take up real estate in your heart. You end up breaking what, what the 10th commandment is called that we shouldn't covet, that we shouldn't desire something that doesn't belong to us, that belongs to someone else. And when we covet and when we compare, we end up questioning the goodness of God and his grace. So every time you are scrolling on your social media, looking at everybody's highlights, comparing to everyone's highlights, coveting everyone's highlights, what you are simultaneously doing is questioning the goodness of God on your life. You are questioning the grace of God. When you covet, you are not content. It is so ingrained in us, honestly, that I that I think many of us have been formed to this. We've been formed to covet and we don't even realize it. You're going to go home today and you're going to be like, man, I should I should have made that kind of food for our Super Bowl party. Man, I don't have that kind of big screen TV. They got a projector in their backyard and the, the screen pops up from the grass. What kind of stuff is that? We just be coveting the most random things and it's happening and it's and it's doing something inside your heart. It's making you discontent. So when we covet and compare we end up questioning the goodness of God and his grace. And it is this very grace that Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12:9, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness." This idea of sufficient, is it, it's, it's in, the, in the Greek, it's archeo. And what it means is it should be so satisfied, so content. So content. And here's the reality for all of us in this room, myself included, is you won't believe God's grace is sufficient until you believe you are insufficient. You will not believe that the grace of God is sufficient until you have an honest look at yourself and your heart and you realize you know what I I'm insufficient that's countercultural to the world that looks too vulnerable that looks too weak but can I tell you that's the very power of the kingdom he says actually in that moment that's when my power is made complete your weakness Being content, being satisfied with my grace. And we live in a culture that idolizes the self made man and woman where we want to rely on ourselves, but you can't receive God's strength until you know your weakness. You can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. And here's what happens when we don't see it as sufficient. Those who see their own insufficiency see God's grace as sufficient and not scarce. When you see, I know it's a little bit of a tongue twister, right? There's a lot of S's in there. I'm, I'm thankful I got it out because I had a list when I was growing up. So I'm glad I got all them S's out. But here's the reality. When you don't see the sufficiency of God's grace, you begin to operate from a scarcity mentality. You do that. But those of you in this room who know that God's grace has always been unfair to everybody, that God's grace is more and it's abundant and it will never run out, those people operate with joy. Those people operate with gratitude. Those people have a keen sense that even though when they go through hard stuff, that the grace of God will sustain them because it's sufficient. Even when things seem unfair in life, you believe that the grace of God is still sufficient. Because thinking God's generosity and grace are scarce can lead you to a greater amount of fear. It can lead you to a greater amount of anxiety. It can lead you to being a a non-generous person because you lead yourself to focus more on what you get instead of what you can give. The grace, it is all grace. We can often be too blind to assume that, that because God's blessing other people with crazy grace, with crazy generosity, that somehow he must be running short. I think sometimes we get into that mentality. We think, man, God, you're doing so many good things for other people. I just don't think that you probably got enough for me. But that is not true. Can I encourage you that this God, Jesus, there is no shortage of grace and generosity in him. There's no shortage. Instead of looking at others and thinking God has given them too much grace, we should first focus on the grace God has given us. And would that lead us to a greater posture of gratitude and humility? I want to leave us with a few reminders as we consider processing this parable more and how we're going to apply it to our lives. We need to understand that God is always fair and he's generous. He is never unjust. The very thing that these workers complained of, the very thing that they were complaining was that he was unjust, but he was fair. We agreed upon the wage. There's been been an agreement upon what God has done in all of our lives by sending Jesus to rescue us. That's all he needed to do, y'all. Everything else is just extra. Everything else is just a blessing, And the reality is, we need to wrap our minds around the fact that God's generosity transcends human ideas of fairness. God's generosity, it transcends what you and I believe to be fair, what politics have taught us and formed us to believe what's fair. God's generosity transcends all of it, it truly does. No one receives less than they deserve in God's kingdom. But there are some who receive far more. And I think a posture of us knowing that God's grace is sufficient is, are we able to celebrate when God's grace and his generosity is being seen in the lives of other people? Are we able to celebrate them? Or are we just going to start comparing? That's a marker in your life. If God's grace is taking a hold of your heart, are you able to celebrate? You see, what these workers could have done is they could have said, you know what, 5 p.m. workers, we know what it feels like to have to go out there and wait for somebody. We know what it feels like to wake up wondering how you're gonna provide for your family. Yo, we're just glad you got in with us. What would that have felt like to those workers? But instead, through Comparison and discontentment, they were envious. What would it look like for God's people who are part of His kingdom to see when Jesus is being generous to others who probably even don't deserve it? What would it be like for us to be stirred with joy and not jealousy? In Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest. I wondered when I first read this parable, why, if he knew, if he knew how much, how much work needed to be done, why didn't he get everybody at the same time? Why didn't he just get everybody, 6 a.m., let's go. But every three hours, he was going to the marketplace, calling more people into the vineyard, calling more people to come work in the kingdom. And you and I have to understand that that is how God is operating today. He is constantly moving towards people in love and generosity and justice. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Some of you are the laborers that he has been beckoning, asking for. But the reality is some of you have experienced the church hurts of the world and you've experienced, because you're a 5 p.m. worker, you've experienced a 6 a.m. workers talking about you and how that was unfair because you're not at that level that they were at or you have not worked as long as they have. But can I tell you the type of church that I want us to create Is is a church that is filled, yes, with truth, but with the grace of God. A church that is filled so much with grace because we know that the harvest is plentiful, We know that we need more people in the kingdom of God. So we're not going to create an environment that is a stumbling block for people to enter in. But so that they can see the person be in the presence of Jesus. They could work for the king because when you submit yourself for the king, you begin to see over time that all his ways are good and just. There's nothing unjust about him. And so practically, I don't know what this looks like for you as you engage this, but I think some of you need to turn, like, I really think some of you need to delete your social media. I really do. Like for so long, maybe you've tried, you deleted it, and then all of a sudden you realize like you kept going back to it and it wasn't there. You're like, I oh, forget this, I'm just gonna open it back up and then I'll set parameters. I'll set, the, I'll set the timer thing that says I'll only be on it for 20 minutes, but you realize every, every day you hit that button that says just leave it going until the end of the day and it hasn't changed you. Like, I honestly believe some of you need to delete it. It's forming you in ways that you can't even explain right now. But in the revelations, how you, how you react to things, it's, it's forming you. And so maybe some of you, you just need to delete it. Some of you in the room, maybe you need to ask yourself, God, why am I not living in a way that thinks that you are sufficient and enough? You're discontent right now. And here's the thing, your discontentment doesn't scare him. Can I? The one line that I love about this that we can't miss is that when they were complaining, do you know what, do you know what the landowner calls them? He says, friend. Just a, such a simple, small line. In, in historical context, landowners don't call hired hands friends. But Jesus makes a point in this parable even though you complaining, even though you're discontent, friend. Oh, I have so much more. Don't let my generosity lead you to envy. And for some of you, you are envious of someone. You're actually bitter towards someone right now. And I think there's bitterness maybe you're holding on to that we are going to use a time of communion for you to release that to God. That may mean you even apologizing to someone you've been envious of that you've been bitter towards. So I'm going to have my friends go ahead and start passing out the communions. And I just want to share with you the backdrop of this whole parable. It started in Matthew 19, where Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter had a way of asking Jesus some of the most off the cuff Questions, but Jesus doesn't flinch here. He tells Peter and the disciples, there's gonna be a place for you, but listen to what he says. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus says, the thing that I have promised you, Peter, I promise you, my disciples, is that you get eternal life. The thing that he has promised all of us is that we get eternal life. So would this produce a greater humility in us Would we serve instead of complain? Would we celebrate instead of compare? Would we drink deeply from the cup of grace and not settle for the bitter cup of envy? Would you and I build habits of praising God for the good things in life? You know, as I read this, I thought, you know, the disciples, they kind of feel to me like the the 6 a.m. workers. They've been with Jesus their entire life. And then it began to think about who's the 5 p.m. worker. And then I heard this pastor recently share. He shared about the thief on the cross. And he shared about how he couldn't wait one day to find this thief in heaven and be like, Bro, how did you do it? How did you get in? You didn't go to the membership class, you didn't get baptized. How did you get in? And then he says, yeah, I wonder what the angels, when they received him, said, sir, how, did, how are you here today? He's like, brother, I don't know. I don't know. No, 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 seriously. The angel said, how did, how did you get in? Hold on, let, let, me, let me read. Do you understand the doctrine of ju- justification, sir? No, so, brother, I don't know. And then he says, bro, no, I need to know. How did you get in? And the man on the, cr- <laughs> the thief on the cross says, the basis I'm here here.'" is because the man on the middle cross said that I could come. 5 p.m. worker, I have grace for you, eternal life, and it's paradise with the king. God, would you make us people of grace? Would we not be envious people, not compare, but would we drink deeply from your cup of grace? Would we know that both Peter and the disciples are in the kingdom of God and this thief on the cross, he's in that same kingdom. And there's going to be people, God, that are waiting to receive the good news of Jesus who we think don't deserve it or we're too afraid to share it. But God, I pray that you would surprise us one day of who's in the kingdom with you. God, I pray that we would preach the good news of the gospel every day to ourselves so that we would not trust our good works, but trust in the finished work of Jesus. Grace is not simply just this undeserved favor we get from you, God, but it is the powerful force that we that enables us to pursue your kingdom. So God, would we become the type of people and community who, yes, are filled with truth, but man, we operate in grace. Father, we, as we enter worship, prepare our hearts and and root the envy and bitterness out of our hearts, God. Reveal to us the ways in which we have been formed by the world to look down on others. We meet you and invite you in this place today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.